Today on the show, we look at a brand new play called Downstate, which attempts to help us as an audience sympathize with the plight of pedophiles. Was it really asking us to sympathize, or is it trying to normalize a sexually deviant behavior so that we get to the place, finally, where the slippery slope becomes a reality, and we find ourselves in a reality where people are saying that they have a sexual identity that prefers children? Well, we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. If you're looking for a new home or you want to refinance your present home, trust me, interest rates are going to go up. And I know what you're thinking. It's a horrible time to buy. Well, perhaps in terms of interest rates. But one thing you should also remember is that interest rates are a little bit fungible. In the future, interest rates will go down again. Sure, for 2023, they're projected to go up. It's also why it's important to act now. But they will go down again. And when they do go down, you can refinance your home to get a lower interest rate. But right now, as the housing market becomes incredibly stagnant, it's a great time to go out there, find a new home, and to make an, a good offer on that home. And then to see your family there by Christmas time. But to do that, you got to go over to kevinblairteam.com. Those guys will help you. They care about the things that you care about. And most importantly, they care about integrity. And if you're like me, you know that the places where you invest your money really do matter. And you want to make sure that you're giving that money to the places that, that support the things that you care about the most and that are places where that money will be well spent. So that's definitely Element Home Loans. So if you want to see what they can do to help you situate your family in a new home, then you need to go to kevinblairteam.com today. And when you do so, let them know that Indie Thinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, I want to start today with a very, very interesting and very sad story, unfortunately. But we're going to be talking about slippery slopes today. And technically, slippery slope is a logical fallacy. And logical fallacies are very important because Especially today, the modern-day left loves, loves logical fallacies. They love things like ad hominem attacks, uh, especially when it comes to things like religion. If you bring up scripture or the Bible or you want to suggest, perhaps, that nature has an origin, you know, uh, nature versus nurture, that kind of thing, that, that you're nurtured by society, sure, but where does nature come from? Nature may come from a hardwiring down deep in the DNA that that comes from somebody who would have hardwired it, perhaps a creator who created you. Now, to suggest that immediately stirs up the ire of some people on social media who desperately want there not to be a God, not that there is not evidence for a God, but definitely do not want there to be a God. So all of the evidence is thrown out, and in response to a suggestion that perhaps nature comes from a source, a created source, then uh, what they do in response to that is they throw out ad hominem attacks. So they'll say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, or that's just stupid, or do you see how dumb that is? All of that is ad hominem because it actually doesn't take into account the very real evidence for a created nature inside 
of human beings. And by the way, there's some great evidence for it. But to simply dismiss something that might actually have a factual basis behind it as stupid or idiotic is merely a dismissive tactic or a logical fallacy. And slippery slope is one of those logical fallacies. And it's a logical fallacy because you can easily undermine somebody in a conversation by merely suggesting that by what you're proposing, then we go to a radical extreme and this is what's going to happen as a result of that. Now, you can see how that will break down a conversation really, really quickly. However, the slippery slope is no longer a logical fallacy when the things you're suggesting actually have a factual basis. So it's important to know this at the outset of our conversation today. A slippery slope fallacy is when you take an extreme repercussion that may not necessarily be justified by the facts. However, when you argue that based upon what's being said or what's being done, this will happen as a result of it. If you have a factual basis behind that, then you're no longer operating in a slippery slope fallacy and the slippery slope isn't a fallacy. It's actually a reality and one that we need to consider. So I say that because just recently, a new stage play was released for the public to see called Downstate. And Downstate is a heartwarming that's a lie, by the way, drama about ex-pedophiles, and it's an attempt to try to get us to sympathize with their plight after they've been re-released back into society. Now, the slippery slope here, of course, has to do with the fact that we're slowly but surely inching closer and closer to the most ridiculous sexual aberrant desires becoming mainstreamed in society. And this is just the latest evidence that because we no longer have standards in terms of what sexual attraction actually looks like, and we don't know from whence to draw those other than self-actualization or self-identity, uh, as blurry as a line that is, we have no real clear standards that we're operating in as a society anymore as to where we can truly understand where sexual identity comes from. So I want to start, before I dig into the play, with just a brief anecdote. Unlike many Americans, I have no real love for serial killers and movies that glorify their violence. That kind of fascination with murder is a little creepy to me, to say the least, but I, but I do love mysteries because they make you think. And whenever you can mix that kind of deep thinking with history, I definitely love those kind of shows. I'm typically in for that. That's why I really enjoyed the series Mindhunter, which is on Netflix. It's a true story. It's about how the FBI uh, began to uh, somewhat silly and seemingly haphazardly practice criminal profiling of mass murderers and serial killers. Uh, the most unfortunate part of the show, uh, to be honest, is the deeply annoying gay relationship with the female lead. Uh, thanks to Skip, I can go right past that inane ridiculousness and go to, uh, I can skip that propaganda and go right to the good stuff. So while that is undeniably the dumbest part of the show, it does do a good job, though, of highlighting the fact that that relationship is built upon being more divergent than actually what a real relationship is supposed to be built upon. And it shows the breakdown of that relationship as a result of it. So status quo breaking is not really what relationships are about because relationships are built upon covenant and not emotions and certainly not activism, but I digress. In the process of showing the flaws behind those kind of relationships, we become aware of something that happened during the time that the FBI was developing this program, and that is that homosexuality was recently taken off the DSM in the timeline of the show, and this happened literally in the 1970s. In 1973, homosexuality was literally taken off the DSM as a mental illness. So 
while we're watching this female profiler uh, go through these serial killers, she actually would have been somebody that might have been profiled by the FBI because prior to 1973, homosexuality was a mental illness. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring it up just because I wanted to nod at the show because I think it's actually really, really well done and really well acted. But also because outside of all of that, I wanted to highlight a slippery slope that we see throughout history. So in 73, at the time homosexuality was officially taken off the DSM, people still were very uncomfortable with the reality of a mainstream homosexual movement. But the cry, as we all know, to normalize that behavior and the cry to leave two consenting adults in the privacy of their own bedroom just to leave them alone quickly won out. Now, fast forward, not so far into the future, and now we were once talking about the right to do what you want into the privacy of your own bedroom, and now we're debating whether or not children should be exposed to drag queen story hour in burlesque shows in the cities in which they live and even in the public school system. We're not only being asked to redefine English language with the pronoun movement for a minority group of people, but we're also being demoralized in the process because we're also being told that you have to believe, unless you want to be a bigot, that women have penises and that men can get pregnant. And one way I'm glad we have to defend the existence of normal while the world descends into madness because it's a reminder to us that normal does actually exist. And that some of life's most basic truths aren't something that can be taken for granted. We need to understand them because the slippery slope does exist. And we can slippery slope all the way into an alternate universe where up is down and down is up. And it sure seems like we're in it today, especially when it comes to the play that I mentioned before. Because according to the Washington Post and to Peter Marks, who wrote this uh, deeply troubling article, uh, he believes that Downstate is, quote, a brilliant play. And this brilliant play about convicted pedophiles is something that we definitely need to add to our social consciousness. Now, for the charitable among us, you might think this play may be called brilliant in that it exposes the disgusting existence of pedophiles and the lives that they have chosen to live. While it is important that I appreciate your compassion and your uh, good nature in trying to think the best, um, your naivete is unfortunate because this review is actually an attempt not to expose pedophiles or to help you share the deep pain of the victims of these pedophiles and the, the families who are left in the aftermath to try to deal with these things. Rather, this play written by Bruce Norris is an, is an attempt to sympathize with the sick souls who wish to exploit children sexually and as a result, normalize this disgusting behavior. So the article goes on and says this because I think it's worth noting. Quote, take a deep breath. Try to ruminate calmly on the position playwright Bruce Norris takes in his, in his scintillating new play, Downstate. Yes, very scintillating. Uh, that the punishments inflicted upon some pedophiles are so harsh and unrelenting as to be inhumane. Well, because you see, the reason you have such an emotional reaction to these pedophiles and you can't sympathize with the punishments that they've gone through is because you're just super irrational. It's not because pedophilia is one of the grossest evils inflicted upon a person. It's not because a child may never actually recover from the evil act perpetrated upon them. 
It's not because the parents of the child are left to wonder how to help their child overcome suicidal thoughts, something they never thought they would do when they decided to have kids. See, you're the problem. Here's a suggestion, Bruce. In order to compensate for the pain convicted pedophiles have to go through after they've abused small, innocent, naive, unconsentable victims, I, access, I, I suggest something simple, that we double down on their punishment that they've had to endure rather than them suffer the inhumane treatment of entering into regular society, I suggest that we take these monsters and we make sure that they never have to worry about entering, to, entering into regular society or entering, in, entering into the system that may marginalize them. So I suggest that we just implement a mandatory death penalty or a mandatory life sentence for people who sexually abuse children. Now, let me be careful, because outside of the very rare exception of the senior in high school who slept with the sophomore or something like that, the sick individuals who rape children deserve everything they get and more. In fact, they perhaps could even be punished more than what they presently have. What we do to them now should be considered mercy. The goal of rehabilitation is far too charitable for most of these people, and Quite frankly, most of these people never recover from their sick fixation with children. But it doesn't stop the writer of this article to go on and say, it's almost impossible to broad brush the perspective at the heart of this impeccably acted drama without sounding as if one is advocating some extraordinary level of consideration for individuals who have committed unspeakable crimes. Well, the reason that you can't broad brush this much and not make it look like a sycophantic suck up to pedophiles is because at the heart of this drama is an extraordinary level of consideration for people who commit unspeakable crimes. This is the kind of consideration that we should never give to Hitler or to Stalin, and we would never argue that we should. When was the last time you saw a sympathetic play or movie for Hitler. He's just misunderstood and marginalized, you know? You know why you don't see that? Because some people are just too gross and immoral that human sympathy for their crimes is in itself an injustice. I mean, Kanye just got done claiming that he is so compassionate and uniquely so that he loves Hitler because he's such a kind person and he, and he got some rightly deserved flack for suggesting such a ridiculous thing. When will we see that we are not more compassionate than God? And if he rightly condemns the person who would harm a single hair on a small child, because he does so in the Bible, by the way, then maybe we too should follow suit. Everything else is just a snobbish attempt to try to pat yourself on the back and to sound as though you're more thoughtful than everybody else when actually what you're doing is just obscene. And this is exactly what's going on in this play. Uh, the article goes on and it says, quote, Norris, who won a Pulitzer Prize for Clybourne Park, a bracingly funny play about race and gentrification inspired by a raisin in the sun, goes here for another societal jugular. And his provocative efforts result in one of the best theater evenings of the year, I bet. Quote, he's loaded the dice to some degree in downstate as the predators who've completed their prison terms are depicted not as monsters, but rather as complicated troubled souls. See there, folks, these evil people, they're, they're not really evil. It's just, it's, compli it's complicated. These, these pedophiles, they're an enigma, wrapped in an enigma. They're just so hard to understand. Or, or, and there's a big or, or the fact that people 
and their stories can be complicated and that that in no way changes the act that these criminals have undertaken and that no good deed done after the fact by these people will ever undermine the gross nature of the evil act that they committed by raping and mistreating children. So let's bring up our friend Kanye again to kind of illustrate this even better, talking about his good friend, the person that he loves deeply, Hitler. And so here's a clip just recently of Kanye on InfoWars giving the most ridiculous defense of Hitler you've probably ever seen in your life. So here's that. Well, that's right. You're not Hitler. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I I see I I see good things about Hitler. Also, the Jew. I love everyone, and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can love, um, you know, us, and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts, and you can love what we're you know what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good, and I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table. So let me just stop for a brief moment before I jump into the argument here and just say Hitler didn't invent the microphone. Just thought you should know that. But don't be surprised. Kanye's comments go much further in their wrongness than just wrongly suggesting that Hitler created the microphone. The idea that a man who was responsible for the death of millions of people deserves our love and affection because he built roads and created a microphone is totally ridiculous. You know why? Because it would be an injustice to the murdered millions of people and their families to gloss over what this man did simply because he created roads and definitely didn't create a microphone. See, this is the difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. So you can give forgiveness, and a person doesn't even have to ask to be forgiven to get forgiveness. You can give, a forgi you can give forgiveness freely because forgiveness or, or unforgiveness is like drinking poison and praying for the other person to die. See, unforgiveness is something that rots your own personal soul. And you can need to find a way to forgive other people for the things that they've done, even when those things are atrocious. But see, forgiveness is not the act of overlooking their past crimes. It's just simply saying, I'm not going to let those past crimes continue to dominate my life in the present. I'm going to to move on from those things in the past. And I'm not going to allow that person to continue to hold any power over me. See, that's what forgiveness is really about at the end of the day. But that's not reconciliation. And it's certainly not reformation. See, that comes from something else. The reason we don't move on and sympathize with pedophiles is simply because the mere act of paying for your crime doesn't mean that justice has been served. So this is why we desperately need Christianity in the present to help us with some of these things. And I say that to those of you who are even non-Christians, because we don't have con this kind of conceptualization with any other with any other kind of philosophy in the present. We don't understand that there is a deep distance and a deep chasm between forgiveness and reconciliation and reformation. See, just because you paid the penalty for your crime doesn't mean all of a sudden that we should sympathize with the plight of pedophiles coming out of prison. What we want more than anything is we want justice so that there can be not only an adequate amount of forgiveness, but also the right kind of reformation in the individual souls that will help us truly
be able to sympathize with that individual. Until that individual understands the weight of their crime, they understand what they've done, and they fully repented of that crime, they will never truly be deserving recipients of sympathy. At least the kind of sympathy that understands the pain that they've gone through and the restitution that they're going to have to make in society. All of that is adequate as a response to help these people truly get the help that they desperately need. See, I think underneath all of this, the desire for sympathy for these people who are essentially animals in their instincts and in their desires is to become more accepting and more understanding of these people. Otherwise, we might have an article here written about the very thing that I'm talking about. If we weren't such a post-Christian society, and if we weren't so nihilistic in our endeavors to try to destroy every institution that we possibly can, and every sense and vestige of truth, we might actually be willing to admit the obvious truth, that without reformation in these people's soul, then what we do by merely sympathizing with them is pat them on the back. We, We give them the kind of encouragement that they need to believe that what they've done is okay, and we understand their pain. But that might be actually what this playwright and the writer of this Washington Post article is really all about at the end of the day, which brings us back to the slippery slope. What this sympathetic article seems to really be after at the end of the day is the renormalization or the normalization of a disgusting, aberrant behavior that was common in the past. There's no doubt about it in ancient Greece and in Rome. These kind of things took place, but the progressives who say they're very interested in improvement seem to want to take us back to a place in time where this kind of sexual deviance was acceptable. So tell me it's not too far of a slippery slope from suggesting that children who are not at the age of consent should have the right to chop off their healthy breast or to chop off their healthy penis simply because of a feeling. To say that then that ideology and that identity is, is, is not far from the identity of the fact that I am just simply attracted to children. See, the point I'm trying to make here is that this is priming the pump for the eventual reality where men and women will come out and eventually say, I am attracted to children. That's who I am. It's the way I was created. I was born this way. There's nothing I can do about it. It's the way even God made me. He created me to love children and to want to nurture them and to want to have sex with them. As gross as this is, and as I wish, you know, especially leading into the holidays, we could talk about something a little bit more positive. We have to be honest about what is right before us. Otherwise, we will continue to see the slippery slope of sexual ideology continue down this path to the point where we will eventually see people rise to the occasion and say, I am a pedophile, that's my identity. And then there will be pressure to accept this marginalized identity in society. Now, you may say to yourself, this is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. This, this is a slippery slope argument. We're not going to see the days where a person can actually literally come out and suggest that pedophilia is a perfectly acceptable sexual identity. 
Well, um, I hate to admit it, but we've actually already seen those days, and they were um, some years past. Now, is it widespread? No, but it perhaps will be. But you should know that a fantastic documentary, one that is uh, a little dark, I'll admit, uh, but something that you should potentially see so that you can have your eyes very wide open, is the documentary An Open Secret. And in it, it details how families were willing to sell their souls so that their children could become famous actors, and these families allowed their kids to go overnight with their agents and go have parties at these big, extravagant um, Hollywood homes. And all of these parents allowed for this to take place so that they could merely see that their child be successful in Hollywood. Well, in the meantime, agents, and specifically an agent in this film, uh, raped and abused their child repeatedly and did so with multiple child actors. Brian Singer, who is of X-Men fame, is also mentioned in the documentary as one of the the individuals who was responsible for hosting parties where small children would come who are trying to break into the industry and then these children would be abused and taken advantage of. Now, I offer that to you for your, for your viewing, but I also want to make mention of the fact that toward the end of the film, we see that the agent, the number one agent that's highlighted throughout the film, is at the end of the film arguing before the court and trying to move his way up to the Supreme Court for the rights of pedophiles to be able to abuse children. He's doing this in California, and fortunately at this point in the game, which all the way back in the early 2000s, this, uh, this court case was dismissed, and it was dismissed on meritless terms. But you see, back then, there were people arguing for the right to be able to sexually abuse children. And if this is not a potential obvious slippery slope and a potential repercussion of the sexual ideology that we're trying to push in the present, where there is no real standard, I do question you this. What will keep us from going to this extreme? What will truly keep us from saying children are off limits from adults? It's a law right now, but what will keep us from changing these laws, especially in the way that we're going? Especially in light of the fact that the Respect for Marriage Act was just passed less than a generation from the passing of the Defense of Marriage Act, which was signed by, at the time, Democratic President Bill Clinton. A short way from that, now we're signing the Respect for Marriage Act, which ultimately creates a federal uh, approval for homosexual marriage and creates, suffice to say, some issues with religious liberties in America. But the whole point being this, when there is no standard, this is the slippery slope that we can look forward to. Francis Schaeffer said it this way, if there is no absolute moral standard, then one cannot say in a final sense that anything is right or wrong. By absolute, we mean that which always applies, that which provides a final or ultimate standard. There must be an absolute if there are to be morals, and there must be an absolute if there are to be real values. If there is no absolute beyond man's ideas, then there is no final appeal to judge between individuals and groups whose moral judgments conflict. We are merely left with conflicting opinions. So you see the point? When we don't have a moral standard by which to judge morally atrocious crimes, then all we have is your opinion and my opinion. Is it any wonder that we're hearing more and more my truth and your truth when the reality is your truth doesn't exist, there is only the truth and you either believe it or you don't. 
But now we're left with conflicting realities based upon people's opinions because we no longer have a moral standard by which we can judge right and wrong as a society. Which brings me back to the whole point of the show today, which is that we must develop a moral absolute. We must have a standard by which we judge what is truly a moral sexual attitude and a sexual preference. If we're not willing to do that, well, then we are consistently living in a downward spiral, slippery slope that will ultimately end in the affirmation of identities that abuse children and even worse. The Bible says it this way, where there is no standard, where there is no word of God, people perish. See, we need a standard by which we can judge these things once again. So even if you're a secular person, even if you're an atheist, or if you're not a Christian whatsoever, but you're a, quote, religious person or spiritual person, none of that matters as much as from whence do we draw moral values? Because if we can't answer that question, we will find ourselves on a slippery slope. And who knows how far down we have to go before we come back to the realization that we must find a moral standard in something. And I can only suggest that we find it from Scripture and from the God who created us. But I leave that with you to contemplate and to comment down below. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.